As we prepare to open God's word, let's pray and ask that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And please turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 2. We'll be continuing through the book of Zechariah this evening. It took me several uh, sermons to get through Zechariah 1, and now we'll do the whole of chapter 2 in one, in one go here. So, Zechariah, right almost all the way to the end of the Old Testament, the second to last book. <clears throat> and we come here in Zechariah chapter 2 to Zechariah's third vision in this series of uh, visions that he that he has over the over the course of this night in the year 519 uh, BC and uh, Zechariah chapter 2 recounts for us in verses 1 through 5 that third vision and then 6 through 13 a sermon uh, that Zechariah preaches uh, kind of drawing together some of the themes of the first three visions that he has uh, so we'll, uh, we'll begin our reading, uh, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1, and read to the end of the chapter. Ze- uh, Zechariah writes, And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, thus far uh, in Zechariah, one of the things that we've uh, seen is that the visions, one of the main, main themes at least of the visions, they're largely about God's return to dwell with his people. 
This is what the opening of Zechariah talked about. Zechariah made this uh, exhortation, this plea for the people, return to the Lord and he will return to you. And the people did indeed repent and return to the Lord. And the Lord then, we read later in that chapter, as we've seen already, the Lord says, I have now returned to my people. I, my house will be built in Jerusalem. I've returned with mercy to my people. This return, of course, is uh, symbolized. One of the main ways that it's symbolized is in the rebuilding of the temple, that dwelling place of God in the midst of his people. And so uh, these visions are taken up with the return of God, and they're taken up with the temple building as well. Those two are, are very much interrelated. They're providing encouragement and explanation for these returned exiles about, uh, about the rebuilding of the temple, about what it means for God to return, to dwell with his people. And this is really what chapter 2 of Zechariah as a whole is about, about God's return to dwell with his people, about his presence with his people, but his presence in a more full and greater way than ever before, his presence in, in, a, um, in the fullest way imaginable with his people. Really what this chapter is about is what the temple looks forward to, a greater dwelling of God with his people, what the temple symbolizes for the exiles as they are rebuilding it. And we really see in this chapter, in chapter 2 of Zechariah, three things that God's greater dwelling with his people, the, um, his more full dwelling with his people that is coming in the future, that the temple looks forward to, three things that this means. It means, first of all, a rebuilt city, a rebuilt city. It means, second of all, a required decision, required decision. And third, it means a renewed people. And so we'll consider this chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah 2, under those three points. A rebuilt city, a required decision, and a renewed people as three implications of God's return to his people, of a return that the temple looks forward to an even greater dwelling with his people. So first we see that this this dwelling that the temple looks forward to, this greatest dwelling of God, his presence with his people, uh, first means a rebuilt city. And this is really what Zechariah's third vision is about in verses 1 through 5 of this this chapter. This vision is expanding on those gracious and comforting words that the Lord uh, answered to the angel of the Lord's plea in chapter 1. Remember, the angel of the Lord said he, he interceded on behalf of the people of Judah and, and pled to the Lord, O oh Lord, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel. And here's the first part of those words that this vision is expanding on. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And what we see in verse 1, as Zechariah has this uh, third and, and a new vision here, is a man with a measuring line in his hand. He lifts up his eyes and he sees, he's beginning a new vision, and he sees a man with a measuring line. And as we've seen in, in all the visions thus far, Zechariah asks a question of this man, asks a, asks a question regarding, um, regarding what this vision is about. And this time, Zechariah's question in verse 2 is, where are you going? He asks this man with the measuring line, 
where he's going. And we saw last week, I think uh, it's, it's, it's very significant, right? We need to pay attention to the questions that he asks. Sometimes he asks what something is. And last week he asked, where are, uh, what are these craftsmen coming to do? And now this week the question he asks is, where are you going? The location of the measuring, more so than just the act of measuring itself or who this man is exactly, is, is really significant. Zechariah is, is uh, making that clear for us by the question he asks. And the answer that Zechariah receives from this man with the measuring line is that he's going to measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. So Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is going to be significant here based on the question that Zechariah asks. Now this idea of measuring in Scripture can have a couple of different meanings. Um, Oftentimes in Scripture what measuring means is that a building project is coming in the future. So we see, for example, in Job 38 when the Lord is speaking to Job, he describes his creation of the world as a building project. And the Lord is both the surveyor and the builder in this building project of the creation of the world. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? So this idea of measuring, uh, first of all, is used of building projects. A future building project is in the works. This is one of the first steps. But it's also associated with the idea of inheritance. So we see this, for example, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, where, where we read, The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage, or his, uh, the, his allotted inheritance. And that word allotted is the same word here that is used for line, line of measurement. So this, this word for line is associated often with the idea of inheritance as well. That stretching the line over something uh, means that it is going to be inherited in some, in some way. So this man who's going to measure Jerusalem is a surveyor. He's doing one of the first steps in a building project that's, that's on the horizon. And of course, that's one of the things that's denoted by the fact that he's going to measure is that Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. There's going to be rebuilt walls and a rebuilt palace and rebuilt temple in its midst. There's a future building project coming for Jerusalem. But this measuring also refers uh, to the Lord's inheritance of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is the Lord's uh, inheritance. It's his chosen city. Those who dwell in Jerusalem are his chosen people. Verse 12 of our passage, if we look down toward the very end, really echoes this idea that this measuring of Jerusalem denotes. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And so really this imagery of uh, of measuring, excuse me, is, is providing encouragement for these exiles as they're wondering, one of the questions we've seen that, that, that is top of mind for them is, where do we fit in in God's plans uh, after the exile? Where do we fit in in, this, uh, in all of these politics of, of, uh, of the surrounding region as we're just this little nation, unprotected, without walls? Uh, where do we fit in? And what the Lord is telling them in, this, in a vivid way through this imagery of a man going to measure Jerusalem is that Judah and Jerusalem and those who dwell in Judah and Jerusalem are the Lord's portion and his inheritance. They are his people. This is a really vivid way of telling 
them this, of reminding them of this truth, of encouraging them in this way. But there's something that the surveyor needs to know before he goes to complete this task of measuring Jerusalem. And we see this in verse 3. The angel who talked with me, so this is the angel that we've seen in all the visions thus far, the interpreting angel who often explains things to Zechariah. This angel came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him. So we have the interpreting angel and another member of God's heavenly council. He has, he's surrounded by, by this uh, council of angels who, who do his bidding. We saw this in the first vision as he has this Uh, as he has this reconnaissance team that goes out all over the earth to report back to him. And here we see two members of that council uh, going out to meet one another. And the interpreting angel in verse 4 says to the other angel, run, say to that young man. In other words, go say to this surveyor before he uh, completes his work, before he goes to measure Jerusalem, make sure you tell him this. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls. Now, this is a really odd uh, thing for the angel to say to this surveyor, because in Zechariah's time, and still with some uh, buildings in our time, to, uh, walls were absolutely crucial to be a city. You could not be an independent city without, having a, without being surrounded by a wall, because a wall was your protection against invaders. It represented as well the fact that you were your own independent city. And this angel uh, talks about uh, Jerusalem inhabited as unwalled villages, these small hamlets that would surround the big cities, surround the independent cities and provide support for them. They would farm for them. They would send them food and support them. But these uh, small villages that surrounded them were not themselves independent. They they didn't have any protection or independence of their own. And this is really what Jerusalem was like at Zechariah's time. The walls were still broken down from uh, when Babylon had had come against the city uh, years earlier. The wall was still still broken down. And so really this, uh, the first thing that the angel says to the surveyor is not really a very great promise. It doesn't really bring very much encouragement uh, to, to the people who are hearing this vision because they, they might be asking themselves when they hear this that Jerusalem will be inhabited as villages without walls. Will we always be like this? Will we never have independence again or a king? Will we never uh, have protection again from our enemies? But the vision goes on and, and really gives us, I think, three reasons why Jerusalem will be uh, as an unwalled village. And the first reason we see in verse 4, because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. In other words, there's too many people and animals in Jerusalem. They, the walls can't fit them all. There's too many. There's a multitude of people, and they're, they're overflowing. And so um, this rebuilt Jerusalem that is described like one of these small unprotected villages that would be around the big, important, protected cities is actually, so, so we think, first of all, a symbol of curse. This is actually a blessing because there's going to be so many people, there's going to be so many people in this rebuilt Jerusalem that the walls can't even hold them. There can't be any walls because there's too many people. And then a second reason there's no walls is really implied by the first because there's peace in, uh, for Jerusalem. 
these people who are, uh, who are dwelling in Jerusalem, they don't feel any need for walls. They're, they're, uh, they seem to be perfectly happy to dwell there, and more and more people are, are, uh, are pouring into Jerusalem. There's a multitude of livestock and, and people, and there seems to be no need for walls because there's peace in the land. Um, they're, they're, there's no protection needed. There's no enemies coming against them. Uh, they're not worried about attack. And then the third reason that there's no walls in this rebuilt Jerusalem, we read in verse 5, I should say there's no walls at least in any conventional sense of the word, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. So this new and rebuilt Jerusalem will have a wall. It will just not be a wall made of stones or brick. It will be a wall of fire surrounding this city. And fire in Scripture, when we uh, think about the Lord's presence uh, as, as it is manifested in fire, this, this often symbolizes for us the Lord's presence in holiness, his holy and consuming presence. So we see this in Exodus chapter 19, when the Lord warns Moses that he's going to come and descend on Mount Sinai, and he says, put barriers around the mountain Because if any livestock or people go too near to the mountain, my presence, my holy presence is going to consume them. They will die. And we read indeed in verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So this is how holy God is. This is a great picture for us in this uh, giving of the covenant on Sinai. That so holy that nothing unholy can approach to his presence lest it be consumed. And so this wall of fire that is around the rebuilt Jerusalem is keeping out all that is unholy. That's its function for this city. And one of the added benefits of this wall of fire is because there's so many people, there's a multitude of people, a wall of fire, unlike a wall of brick or stone, is expandable. It can expand and and go outwards to accommodate more and more people streaming in to this rebuilt city. But it's not only a wall all around the city that the Lord's presence will be for this, uh, for this rebuilt Jerusalem of the future. He will be the glory within this city. This is how the third vision ends. I will be the glory in her midst. So this idea of glory is often associated with, uh, with the tabernacle or with the temple in the Old Testament. So when Solomon finish, finishes dedicating the temple that he built Uh, We read, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So it's this kind of glory, the kind of glory that the priests of God couldn't even stand to minister because it was so great. This won't only fill a temple in the middle of this rebuilt Jerusalem, it will actually pervade the entire city in this new and rebuilt Jerusalem, the presence of the Lord will fill it in its entirety. This is a greater glory than even Solomon's temple enjoyed. So this first vision is about a rebuilt city, a new Jerusalem, a city with countless people, with true and lasting peace, no fear of invasion or attack. And the whole city, not just the temple in the middle of it, is holy The Lord's holy presence pervades this entire city, and there's a wall of fire around it, keeping out all that is unholy. And because there is this new and perfectly holy Jerusalem coming, a response 
A decision is required from the exiles. And this is really what we see in the first part of Zechariah's sermon. Um, in verses 6 to 13, he preaches this sermon that's based on these first three visions. It's weaving together a lot of the themes of the first three visions. So you'll notice um, a lot of language that's borrowed from those visions, a lot of themes that's borrowed, and it's providing application from those visions. What should we do on the basis of what he's seen? Um, this call for decision, this is our second point, the required decision that is a result of this rebuilt city of the future that's coming. We read in verses 6 to 7 of our passage, Zechariah admonishes the exiles, up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So there's, he's drawing on some things we've already seen here. So for example, we see that idea of spreading, of the exiles being spread out. Uh, that, that's drawing on his second vision, where he talked about the horns that scattered the people all over the world, that scattered the Israelites and, and, uh, and, the, and uh, the Judeans all over the world um, as God's, as God's uh, judgment against them, as his covenant curse against them, the scattering. So again, we see here the Lord has spread the exiles abroad as the four winds of heaven, right? This number four in Zechariah's vision as that number of universality. So the exiles again spread out all over the world. And they're called to return from the land of the north, the land of, or the land of Babylon. He uses them uh, synonymously here. And he's drawing here on, on the prophet Jeremiah, where Jeremiah talks about the land of the north as the, as, the, uh, as the place where invaders come from. If you were coming from Assyria or Persia or Babylon, you would come from to, to invade Palestine. You would come in from the north. And so these invaders come in from the north, and they take the exiles away uh, to the north. But the captives also return. The exiles also return from the land of the north. And so uh, Zechariah here is calling, using that uh, language of Jeremiah, calling the exiles from all over the world to return from where they've been taken, where they've been uh, taken into captivity. And uh, it's urgent. He says, now is the time to return. He says, flee, escape from the land of the north. There's a decision required now, Zechariah is saying. There were some exiles. Of course, Zechariah came back with a, with a small group of exiles who, who returned to rebuild the temple uh, when Cyrus gave them permission to do that and the funds to do it. But uh, there, were, there were many exiles who remained in Babylon, who had become assimilated into the culture there, who had become comfortable there uh, for, and, and successful there uh, for doing various things. And so this sermon that Zechariah is preaching here is an invitation, an exhortation even from the Lord for these exiles to return, to return home to the land of Judah, to not forget uh, where their citizenship lies, uh, to return and help to rebuild God's temple. And Zechariah gives us the reason that these exiles should return in verses 8 and 9, the reason why this decision uh, is so urgent. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. 
So we're getting again here that these nations, those nations that in the first vision were at ease, were oppressing God's people, that was expanded on in the second vision, those horns that lifted up their horn against the people of God and pride and against God himself. And here uh, we, we saw before they were oppressing. Here Zechariah uses the word plundered. They've plundered God's people, these, these nations that have set themselves against God and his chosen people. And God is jealous for his people. This is also something we saw in the opening two visions. So drawing again on themes from those visions, they're the apple of his eye. In other words, they're his most precious possession, the people of the Lord. And so he will punish them. He will bring destruction on them. He will shake his hand against these plundering nations, and they will become plunder themselves. Right? This is what it says, is they'll become plunder for their servants. This is very fitting justice for those who plundered God's people. And Jerusalem and Mount Zion are the only uh, safe havens in this coming destruction, from this coming destruction. Escape to Zion, Zechariah says to these exiles. Because the exile is over, the Lord has again chosen Jerusalem and Zion Uh, He has already returned. His temple is being built. And now is the time to return. Now uh, is the time to join yourself to the people of God. And more than that, as as Zechariah's third vision uh, uh, depicted for us, there is a rebuilt Jerusalem coming, a greater Jerusalem coming in the future. There are days of peace and glory coming where God's presence will be with his people in a greater and fuller way than ever before. Now is the time to join yourself to God's people, he's, he's saying to these exiles. So God's presence with his people means that a new and rebuilt Jerusalem is coming and that as a result, a decision is required. And this decision is most urgent because destruction is coming against these wicked nations that set themselves against God and his people. But Zechariah actually ends his sermon on a note of great hope. He, uh, he, he uh, talks again about a third implication of God's presence, um, and that's that God's presence creates a renewed people of God, a recreated, a renewed people of God. And so this is our third and last point for this evening, a renewed people. This is, first of all, a joyful people, this renewed people of God that are created by his presence among them. We see that in verse 10 of our passage. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. So Zechariah exhorts God's people here, sing and rejoice. And why does he exhort them to sing and rejoice? It's because God is coming to dwell in their midst, He's coming to dwell with them in a greater and fuller way than ever before. And this, of course, is a great reason for rejoicing. This is the greatest reason for rejoicing. God's people should delight and should desire always his presence among them. This is a joyful people, this renewed people of God. And it's, second of all, a holy people. This is something that we see from Zechariah's vision in verses 1 to 5, this a wall of fire that surrounds the rebuilt Jerusalem. God is the glory in the midst of this rebuilt Jerusalem. And what this means, what this communicates to us, is that all that is within this city is holy, including the people who live there, including its citizens, are holy. God's 
holy presence means that those who dwell there must be holy because anything unholy would be consumed uh, by, by, his, uh, by his holiness as we saw in, uh, in Exodus 19. So this renewed people, this recreated people is a holy people. And third, this recreated people, this renewed people is a mixed multitude. We saw this in the vision as there's too many people, there's, there's too great a multitude for even walls to be put around this new and rebuilt Jerusalem. It's a multitude that no one can count, that no one can number. But in verse 11, we get even more information about this multitude of people that will be the citizens of this rebuilt Jerusalem, that will be uh, this holy and renewed people of God. Many nations, in verse 11, shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. So many nations, Zechariah says, will join themselves, will be joined to the Lord. And it's interesting. He talked about the nations in a very negative light in the first part of this sermon. The nations are those who are at ease. They are those who are plundering and oppressing God's people. But there's coming a day in the future when the nations will be joined to the people of God, when God will be their God and they will be his people. This is the covenant formula that we find so often in Scripture. What does it mean to be in covenant with God? It means that he is your God and that you are his people. And in the future, these nations that are now oppressing Judah and Jerusalem, the nations will be called God's people. This is an incredible reversal that we're that Zechariah is, is referring to here, an incredible uh, reversal that will take place when this rebuilt Jerusalem comes about. So it's not only that this uh, people is too many for walls to hold in, they're also a multitude from all over the place, from all kinds of nations. And we see lastly here, Zechariah tells us when this is all coming about. He gives us at least some indication, some hope, for the exiles to whom he's preaching. In verse 13, um, he tells us it's soon, it's it's imminent that this is coming. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. As these exiles to whom Zechariah was preaching might be asking themselves, when? This sounds so great. When is this rebuilt Jerusalem coming? When is this renewed and recreated people of God coming? When will the enemies of God be destroyed? The Lord says that he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. He is prepared to act on behalf of his people. He is coming even now to act on their behalf. And the proper response uh, we read here is reverence and awe before this God who is, who is about to act, who is about to bring uh, a great redemption on behalf of his people. As the exiles continued to rebuild the fallen temple, they looked forward to these days that the temple served as a symbol and a guarantee of days of a new and glorious Jerusalem, days of a recreated people of God, when they would be a joyful and holy and, and multitude, uncountable a multitude from all kinds of nations, from all over the place, all because of God's presence with his people. And as they rebuilt looking forward to these days, they were really looking forward to the coming of Christ and of his church. Uh, The Gospel of John opens in the prologue talking about the Word. He writes, uh, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, 
All things were created through him. In him was life. He is the light which shines in the darkness. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is telling us here, this word that he uses for the word became flesh and dwelt, that word that he uses for dwelt is a word that is associated with the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that God dwells in his tabernacle. And Christ, the word, the eternal word of God, became flesh and tabernacle, dwelt with his people. He is God coming to dwell with his people, God's presence with his people. He is the glory in our midst, John tells us. He is what the temple looked forward to, the fullest dwelling of God with his people. And he's building, even now, this new and rebuilt Jerusalem that Zechariah saw in his vision. At, uh, he, he began this work, really, at Pentecost, when he poured out his spirit and began to gather the nations in and to build this holy new creation temple uh, through his word and spirit, of which he himself is the cornerstone. We, we see that wonderful imagery in Acts 2 at Pentecost of tongues of fire when the Spirit is poured out, resting upon the disciples, signifying for us that now God's presence is no longer in the temple in the middle of his people, but Christ, through his Spirit, dwells in each and every one of his people, that he is with each and every one of us through his Spirit. And apart from the work of Christ, this holy presence of God within us would be only consuming and terrifying. But because of Christ's work, because we are clothed by faith in his righteousness, this presence of God, this Holy Spirit who indwells us, who brings, who, who unites us to Christ, this Spirit's indwelling is actually a cleansing, a sanctifying presence within us, conforming us to the image of Christ, making us holy and fit to dwell in the new creation, in the new Jerusalem. This is really ultimately what the third vision of Zechariah looks forward to, the new heavens and the new earth, as they are described for us in Revelation chapter 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk." And this, brothers and sisters, is why this decision that comes to us is even more urgent than the decision that came to those exiles who remained in exile in Zechariah's day. Because Christ has defeated, God has roused himself already. Christ has defeated his enemies. He is building the new creation temple even now. And he's coming soon in glory. He's returning soon in glory to judge the living and the dead. So let us, let us flee from Babylon, from, that, uh, from, from the world, from the wicked world of sin and of darkness, and escape to Zion by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And let us be numbered with those who sing and rejoice at the presence of our God. Amen.
Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, thank you for acting once and for all on behalf of your people by sending your Son to be the glory in our midst. Thank you that because of Christ's finished work, your presence with us through your Spirit is not consuming, but sanctifying. Please continue to sanctify us, conforming us to the image of your Son until that day when he returns in glory and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, a new and rebuilt Jerusalem, a city of perfect peace, a city lit by your glory and the glory of our Savior. Please hasten that day, we pray. Amen.